seven months ago now, I was planning our sermon series for the summer and then this fall where we are now. And so I asked some leaders from our staff, vestry and clergy to uh, give me their input. And one of you wrote me this. And unfortunately, when I cut and pasted into uh, my document, I missed the name. So one of you is a genius and I have no idea who it is. But anyway, here's what was written to me. Quote, it feels like COVID-19 has put all of us in a holding pattern. We've all just been trying to survive. So it's not clear to me, this person wrote, what our task is now as a church in Wheaton. What are we called to do and be now that the end of the pandemic is in sight? Remember, that was seven months ago when we thought there would be an end. <laughs> there, uh, who are we? And what are we going to do together? These kinds of basic questions seem worth spending time on because we've lost so much sense of direction and cohesion over the past year. Well, I resonated with those words, and I'm guessing you do too. My guess is that you are a different person now than when the pandemic started. I know I am. Uh, maybe you work more from home now, or... Maybe you were exposed to COVID or you lost a loved one to COVID and so you realize just how precious life is. Or maybe you're trying to not go back to the super fast pace of life that you had before. Because of what we've all gone through, we see things differently, don't we? And the same is true for all of us as a church here at Church of the Savior. Uh, Father Bill, our co-founder, uh, wrote me and said, Savior is a different church today than it was pre-COVID. How could it not be? And I agreed with him. So tonight, on our 17th anniversary as a church, I want to offer some pastoral reflections on who are we now and uh, what, is, what does our vision look like now? So this will be a little bit of sermon, uh, but mostly State of the Union. So... <laughs> And I'm going to address those four questions that are printed in your guide. The first, they'll be up here, though. The first of which is, what is going well for our church? Last September, uh, David Kinneman, the president of the Barna Research Group, said this. Up to one in five churches could close their doors permanently as a result of shutdowns from COVID-19 closure orders. Well, Church of the Savior didn't close. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and it has tasted so sweet to be back together, to hear your voices, to see your eyes instead of staring at my laptop screen. And uh, so thank God we're still here. So that's the first thing I just want to celebrate. We're still here. <laughs> so praise the Lord. And not only are we here, but a second thing that uh, I am truly grateful for is that we have been blessed with a very great deal of unity. Um, and this is no small miracle. <laughs> so I feel I need to uh, mention that because this has been, in my estimation, the most polarizing team, time I have ever seen in our national life. Uh, many churches have fractured along the lines of masking or not masking, meeting or not meeting, responding to our national reckoning on race, 
Uh, and, and the big question has become, how do we live in one church when we have such different political views and the political views in our country are pulling apart and are farther apart than they have ever been? And then you try to go and sit in the same pew. How does that work? Well, here at Savior, we are not all of one mind on these things. Of course, we never will be. You have two people in a room, you have seven opinions. <laughs> But I have to say, so many times, Savior, I have seen you choose the way of charity. To, to stop for a moment and think, what is best for this other person here right now in our congregation? What is best for my neighbor down the street? And you have chosen along those lines very often, and I just I thank the Lord for that. Now, given the limited time, I'll just add one more thing in this section on what's going well. God has been generous in sending us many. Next time I'll have somebody whose writing is better. <laughs> many new children and youth. All right. Uh, our rosters right now are at an all-time high. Um, we have 32 children between the ages of birth and fifth grade. And we have uh, 25 youth between 6th grade and 12th grade. And so each one of these is a gift, right? A gift to learn from, a gift to live in community with, a gift to draw the gifts of, and a gift to raise up in the faith. Praise the Lord. Well, that leads us to our next section. What challenges are we facing? And the first one I'll mention is serving them. <laughs> okay. God uh, has generously brought us uh, this uh, youth wave, I praise the Lord. And you know we could use some more storytellers and greeters in our children's ministry. And, uh, and right now, our kids in third through fifth grade, we'd love to open up a children's worship room, and right now we can't yet. So they're in here, which is, which is fine, too. We love them being with their families, but we'd also love to open that up. Now, thankfully, we have just hired a new family ministries administrator, Sydney Kemenjarin, praise the Lord. And uh, while we're seeking our next youth pastor, uh, Karen Liebold and several volunteers, you all have stepped forward and put on regular events for our youth, uh, dinners and, and things after church, and I'm very thankful to all of you for that. So, but I do want to dig a little deeper and say, we've never had much difficulty finding volunteers. So what may be going on? And I want to suggest four factors. Um, the first one, what we are experiencing here is the same thing churches and companies <laughs> and organizations are experiencing everywhere. In the last two weeks, I've spoken with three Anglican church leaders who have all said we've never had as much challenge in finding volunteers as we do right now. And actually, I get it. We are all fatigued from the last two years. Not to mention, if you've got kids, you're wondering, like, hey, they might be exposed at daycare or school. Maybe they would carry that in. I, maybe they're carrying it to me, and I might carry it in. You know, we've got all that to worry about, which we didn't used to. So anyway, I think it's very understandable. Second factor uh, at Savior here, as many churches do, we have what we call the six-month rule. It's one of our safety principles. So what it means is that we don't allow people to serve 
with our children and youth until they've been here for six months and we've had half a year to try to get to know them a little bit and kind of get a read on them. It also discourages the person who's looking for a quick opportunity of the wrong kind. And so we didn't come back to in-person worship till July. So think what that means. It means if you've come any time between March of last year, March of 2020, and now, the earliest you could start would be January of next year. So there's been like this 18-month hold. I think they call that supply chain issues. <laughs> but it's all for a very good reason, right? And one that we believe in. Okay, a third factor that's affecting us is we're planting our first church plant, thankfully, Christ Our Peace Anglican in Oak Park. And among the people who are going with the church plant include some of our veteran children's ministry leaders. Well, that's also good because they get to start with some, but it also is something we're feeling. And fourth and finally, during COVID, many employers, as you know, said, you can work from home. So people felt free to move about the country in a way they hadn't before. And so about 20 people moved away, and then about that or more moved here but the ratio of the children was higher. So here's where we are right now, just to give you a feel. Um, Pre-COVID, children and youth made up 23% of our church. Now it's 37% of our church. Okay, so you see the ratio. We've got more children and youth to serve, thank the Lord, <laughs> but proportionally speaking, a smaller piece of the pie to, to serve them. So this is a challenge, it's a good challenge. Uh, but it's going to take some time to work our way through it. It's going to take some creativity, some prayer, some patience, and we'll get there. But you asked me what challenges are we facing. I mean, I wanted to include that, and that is one. All right. Ready to take a breath and go on? Where do we need more clarity? I want to mention two areas here. The first one is who are we? During any period of 18 months, some people come to Savior. Some people move. Maybe they choose a different church or whatever. And we're used to that. that we, that's, we call that the normals. And it's gradual. So maybe one week you notice somebody new in your pew, but then you don't for a while. Okay. And so it's easy to kind of absorb all that. But COVID meant many more transitions than usual. And we were on Zoom for much of that time. So all those transitions were visually hidden from us month after month after month until they were all saved up. And we came back in July and whoo! <laughs> so it, it's impossible that in the last three months, we're able to do the relationship building work of 21 months. Okay. So my guess is, if you come in here, it's very possible, maybe probable, that if you look uh, this way down your row and the other way down your row, you don't know everybody's in, that, in your row yet, including if you've been here for a long time, which I know is disorienting. Okay, but uh, I guess it, it cuts both ways. If you're new and you feel like, hey, I don't know everyone, nobody else does either. <laughs> you came at a great time. Welcome to Savior, the updated edition. <laughs> um, so to help, obviously, you've noticed our staff scheduled extra picnics this summer. We tried a few things, stay after church, and we'll have popsicles or grapes or things like that. 
Um, but to find out who we are, we have to get to know each other. And that's going to take some time. So here's, here's what I would c- suggest the best thing we can do is. Start meeting the people in your row. They've probably already introduced themselves once or twice. Ask them the third time. Do like I do. Blame it on, you know, age, you know. <laughs> Ask them the name. And maybe if you connect, see if they want to go catch coffee or go out for coffee, uh, dinner after church. And then for extra credit, because I know we're here in Wheaton with a lot of very bright people who like to get extra credit, move to the next row, the people in front of you. Try to get their names. And little by little, we'll get to know each other and see, okay, oh, you're bringing those gifts and passions. Here's what I have. And then the body just starts to flourish. So the answer is, we need to know. We don't fully know, and it's going to take a little time to know. But that's okay. That's okay. Now, where else do we need more clarity? Last, what is our outward focus? Our outward focus. The senior warden of our vestry, Ellen She, wrote me this. She said, we are a caring community and desire to do more outreach, but we haven't yet figured out what type of outreach fits our church well. How can we share our love and care with those outside of our church? If our church disappeared, would anyone in the Wheaton community notice? What are the ways God is calling us to care for others beyond those in our church? I thought it was very insightful, and I agree. So I have therefore taken it upon myself as one of my goals for this coming uh, year to lead a process wherein we get clearer on that, where we gain more discernment and more clarity about that very good question. In fact, I've been thinking about an idea that I want to try out with our our staff and our vestry to kick off that conversation, but I'm going to try it out on you a little bit right now just so you can get a feel, and then you can also give me some feedback. All right. So um, in the classic job hunter's manual called What Color Is Your Parachute? Any of you remember that? They have this thing called the party exercise. Richard Nelson Bowles, the author. And and the way it works like this is to help you figure out your unique kind of calling. And so he says, imagine you go to a party and it's a big like rounder or uh, hexagonal room And you realize when you walk in that there's actually like sort of six different groupings of people. These are not walls. These are just like breaks between this group of people and this group of people. And they're each a different type of people. Okay? So in the first one are people who have mechanical ability. They're really good with like working with their hands. They love tools. They love being outdoors. They love plants. They love animals. They love anything that runs, trying to fix it trying to refix it, whatever, mechanical. Then in the next group is the folks who are really great with clerical and numerical ability. So you give them a spreadsheet, it talks to them. They really like clear procedures and things done a certain way properly so that all the data and information comes out well. I'm looking at you, Janice Holkren. Okay, (laughs) third is influencing ability. These are the people you want in your sales department, but they are people who are good at persuading others or leading others. Okay, then there's folks with learning ability. These are people who are great at investigating, observing, analyzing, 
You give them something to dig in, and man, they just dig in and figure it out. So that's their gift. Then there's the artistic folks, and people with artistic ability are great at imagining and innovating. And lastly, there's folks with helping ability, those who are really good at helping, training, or curing others. Okay, so you got the six groups. So what the party exercise does, it says, okay, you walk into the room. Which of those six groups do you go to first and hang out with? Because you're like, those are my peeps. Okay, right. So you're each going to have a different answer depending on your makeup. All right, then assume this, the exercise says, assume that the conversation starts to wind down in your chosen group. So now you've got to choose a second group. Where do you choose for your second group? And then eventually that conversation winds down and you choose a third. But whatever your answer is, your first, second, and third in that order turns out is remarkably revealing about your particular calling gifts and what you offer the world. And so it's very helpful for job hunters. Now, with all of that as background, let's try this out. Um, let's imagine that this is a room and walking into the room is not one of us, but all of us. All of Church of the Savior walks in and this, these discussion groups are ways that churches often think about or go about the work of outreach and sharing their love with others, okay? So in this corner of the room, you have churches that really love local compassion. So they give a lot to organizations in the community that are serving those in need, and they also volunteer. So they show up for the tutoring programs and the soup kitchens and all those types of opportunities to show compassion to those in need, all right? And then over here are the churches that are talking about evangelism and what they're doing is thinking how do we create an atmosphere and of welcome and events that are a cinch to invite friends to so they may be doing things like having the community easter egg hunt or something like that or pro football player speaks at the men's breakfast or whatever because that way when people in their church are out talking with friends or family, there's always an on-ramp for them. There's always to say, hey, why don't you join me? Okay. The third group is uh, those who are into church planting. And these churches do things like start residency programs for potential church planters in their church to raise them up, give them some skills, train them, and then send them out. All right. Then justice these churches take direct, direct action. Now, some churches, depending on their stripe, they may do it for the unborn, or they may do it for the poor, or they may do it for racial minorities, but anyone who's being oppressed systemically, and so they take direct action, and they're going to the county board meetings, and they're speaking up, or they're marching, or they're going door-to-door -door and getting petitions, but they're, they're writing the editors, they're writing the congressmen, and they're saying, this has to change. They're working on justice. Next workplace this recognizes that this church is not just all of us but it's also every one of us so when you go to your workplace and fulfill your vocation you're bringing God's presence and goodness to the world so then if that's our passion then we might say set up small groups by job area like all the 
counselors want to be in a group, it's easy to invite a fellow counselor to that group, see? Or maybe all the software folks or whatever. Um, and maybe there's Bible studies and book studies on how do I integrate my faith in my workplace. All right, and global mission. Churches with a passion for global mission for their outreach are going to support long-term missionaries. Maybe there's missionary conferences. Maybe they're supporting short-term missions teams. Maybe they're supporting a long-term reciprocal partnership with another church. Do you see? Okay, now, here's the point. (laughs) All six of these are biblical. All six of these are awesome. But just like any one person is not going to be able to do all six vocational areas with equal aptitude and passion, I think a church is a lot like that too. We're not going to be able to do all six at the same level of awesomeness. So it actually takes some maturity and humility to stop and figure out, okay, what would be our first place of conversation? What would be our second? What would be our third? Because we don't have enough passion, energy, money, time to do all six at the same level. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is... This is work that I'm excited about doing. I think, I think we could be clearer than we are, and if I can't give you the clear answer, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. <laughs> you know what they say? So pray for wisdom. Feel free to email me, and uh, we'll begin those conversations with staff and vestry this year. All right, let's go to the last question. What is God inviting us into? I've been trying to uh, really intuit and pray about that. In a sermon not long ago, I mentioned that when I was on summer prayer retreat, that scripture, I've set before you an open door, had a special resonance for me, and I thought it might be for Savior, and I've been praying about that ever since, and I invited you to think about that with me. And so at our recent all-church prayer gathering, the Bible passage we read and reflected on was the first passage tonight that Bill read from Revelation 3. And... In this section of scripture, Jesus is speaking to individual churches. And starting there in verse 7, he says this, to the angel or the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write this, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. The risen Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and earth, That means he has all access backstage pass. He's got the janitor's key ring. Every door opens to him. But if he decides to shut it, it's shut. If he opens it, it's open and it can't be shut. Okay? When the disciples, after that first Easter, were locked in a room for fear they were going to be dragged away, tortured, and killed next, Jesus shows up inside the locked room. How does he do that? What he opens... Nobody can shut. Good luck with the locks. Jesus says, I'm opening it, and I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. And in verse 8, he says to this church, I know your deeds, and I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I I just think about how good that must have felt to that church, because this is a church that's under a lot of social pressure and persecution. Um, You can see it in words in this passage like, you have little strength. They're beaten down, you know, and liars and endure patiently. You get the idea that these people are really under pressure, but now 
Jesus is saying to them, look, there's room to move about. I'm opening up the door for you. There's space out in front of you. But this is very interesting. While, when we were at the prayer gathering and we were spending time in listening prayer, people were appreciative of that word, but they were mostly drawn not to that, but to a word further on. If you look at verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So I'd been thinking about, I've set before you an open door, but the word that seemed to really glow at prayer meeting was, (laughs) hold on to what you have. which for this church in Revelation 3 probably meant, despite the pressures you're under, hold on to your faith in me. Despite what you're going through, hold on to your love for each other, which is being tested, right? Because if I identify with you and you're figured out that you're one of those crazy Christians and you're interrogated, I'm next. Do I still really want to be near you enough to help you and show you love? Because that's a risky identification. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your love. Don't give up. Don't cave in. And as one person in the prayer meeting said, if you lose that, then what good is the door that's open in front of you? Right? One of our our newer members, uh, Friends of the Savior, Cynthia uh, Cathcart, said, I see a theme of faithfulness. God's faithfulness to us, I've set before you an open door, and our faithfulness to him. Hold on to what you have. So my sense, just where I am today, is that this word, though true, may be a little bit further down the road. That this is actually the more immediate word um, for us right now. And I think about, okay, what do we have that we want to hold on to? Well, 17 years ago, 26 people began Church of the Savior and uh, as Father Bill said at a restaurant, I want to be, for us to be known as people who love God, love others, and who love life with abandon. And that's what we have. That's what we hold on to. Loving God, loving others, loving life. I'll close with this. Recently, someone sent me this note. I have felt the past few years have been a real fight for me to hang on to my crown as I've been working through so much Uh, disillusionment and disappointment with the institutional church. But our experiences with Savior have been so hope-giving, so I wanted to say thank you for a community that has been a model to me of healthy connection, growth, and service. All glory to God. Amen.